We'll be in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be looking at verse 9 today. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty Heavenly Father, as we assemble here today, Lord, let us put the, the things of the world aside, Lord. Let us come to worship you, and we ask, God, that you would uh, receive this worship and that we would ascribe to you the glory and the honor that you deserve, Lord, that we would recognize you as the only true God, the living God, uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Lord, we just ask that you would grant us uh, continued repentance, Lord, for the sins that we commit against you, Lord, and in that, that you would uh, so graciously and merciful, mercifully uh, bestow upon us the forgiveness of sin that comes only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just ask that uh, you could continue to sanctify us, Lord, that you would cause us to persevere in your will and be conformed to the image of your Son, that we might uh, continue to worship and continue to bring glory and honor to your name, Lord, that we would proclaim the kingdom of Christ, that we would continue to proclaim that Christ is the only Lord and that he is king of kings and that he is uh, prophet and priest and he is the only one by which man can be saved. Lord, let us revel and boast in the fact that Christ has done all things to accomplish salvation and that we can rest assured that he alone is sufficient. Lord, let us be found at the foot of the cross daily and with each hour, Lord, and with every minute. Let us wake with thoughts of Christ. Lord, may we uh, rest at night going to sleep with thoughts of Christ as well and what he has done for us and the work that has been accomplished on Calvary's cross. Lord, we just ask that you would cleanse us from our iniquities and make us a people that would be befitting of this grace and mercy. Lord, let us, let us be disciples who are truly given to the word and let us be washed and cleansed thoroughly by it. For in it we know that it is Jesus Christ, that living word. Lord, we just ask that you would cause us to be those who would exalt the name and herald the name of Jesus Christ so that uh, sinners may hear the saving message of the gospel. Lord, and let us constantly remind ourselves of the gospel, for by it we have been saved, and by it the, the truths of Christ have been applied to our hearts. Lord, this day we just ask for your forgiveness and that uh, you would be pleased by what your church is doing and that you would also be pleased that by the Spirit you would reveal to us the, the spiritual truths that cannot be seen uh, by the world, Lord, but that which you have hidden in your word for your people. Lord, would you please give us discernment this day about the person and work of Christ from each text and from every line. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 2, and the, the verse that we aim to look at, uh, we've been here five months in Hebrews, and we're at verse 9 in chapter 2, and it says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Like I said, this morning we find ourselves again in chapter 2 of Hebrews. And as we're reading, we're reminded that we simply aren't here for a history lesson. We're not here to hear old Bible stories. 
But instead, we're here to feed upon the word of God that is revealing to us the truth and giving to us this bread of life, which is Jesus Christ himself. And we're trusting that in it, the Holy Spirit would reveal to us these eternal truths that are only true because of the Savior and who they proclaim. And this, again, is Jesus Christ. And we aim to see as we look over the text in every jot and every tittle and every line and every verse from Genesis to maps, we aim to see Christ. Christ himself said in John chapter 5, verse 39, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. Now, he wasn't only speaking of that which is scripture that he was speaking right then, but he was most assuredly even referring to the Old Testament scriptures in which the Savior was veiled, in which he was a mystery, in which he was uh, loosely and, and vaguely foreshadowed so that the natural man could not understand, but only those who were born of the Spirit could one day see that they prophesied of the Christ and that they spoke of him and him only. Even the genealogies are there simply to proclaim that Christ is the Son of Man, that He is the Son of David, and that He is the Son of God and the Savior, the Messiah, that He is the Lamb of God. We look to the Scriptures in light of what we see in verse uh, 39 in John chapter 5, looking at every instance for Christ. This means that the point of assembling here today is that we would worship and glorify the Almighty God and exalt the name of the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ, that we would exalt the Messiah, and that we would ascribe to him this glory and the honor and the power that we know belongs only to him as he is both man and God. Some will ask, Brother Tim, how is this not a history lesson? The answer is that it, to some extent it is a history lesson. But on the other hand, to define this testimony that we have before us as simply uh, a history lesson we would be robbing it of its glory. We would be robbing the word which is Christ and we would be making, in some sense, nullifying the full weight of the glory of Christ in each verse. We would be missing pieces, so to speak, to say that this is simply history, a point in time in which we study. That means that history simply cannot bear, it can't bear record of the total work and the impact of the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he had done both on earth and now in heaven and, and before the earth and the heavens were created. This is the Jesus who is being revealed in this particular epistle. And as it was originally written to the Hebrew people during the New Testament times, and we see again the truth of what John says uh, in chapter 20, verse 31, I think it, it meshes very well. It says that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the point is that this particular verse that we looked at is not simply a point in history, but it, it is a point in history that is describing a Christ that is not in time, a Christ that is eternal, a Christ that has come to save man. And it's describing this Christ that is in every verse of the Bible. It's describing the Christ and his ability to save and his finished work on the cross that is saving, that is salvation for anyone who would believe. And they would have life in his name and it would be life more abundant. It would be life eternal. 
And then we see that our assessment of the text would also be incomplete should we view things as simply history. Why would it be so? Because this Jesus is timeless. This Christ is the eternal Christ. This Christ is the Christ who is God before all of creation, who came as a man, who died as a man, who rose as God and who has ascended into heaven and is seated as both man and God. This is the Christ who created all things who have come in, that have come into existence. And so to say that it's simply history would be putting a finite view upon an infinite God. That's certainly not what we want to do. And by large, uh, many professing Christians and what we could call the majority of the world would certainly like to view God as a, a finite being. Their definition of God is very finite because they don't understand and they can't understand who Christ is eternally. There are cults and uh, who claim to be Christian and yet deny the deity of Christ. Therefore, they have a temporal Christ and a different Christ, as Luke would say it, not a saving Christ. By itself, uh, it would be a, a temporal understanding of an eternal God to say that this is simply a, a history lesson. There's so much more as we begin to realize that the God who lives beyond or outside of space and time, he has stepped into space and time that he can redeem and give to those who are uh, mortal immortality so that they can step into time, give the mortals immortality and bring them outside of time into everlasting life. This is the message of Christ and this is the sum of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's found in every verse and it is no different today as we look at verse 9. Again it says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Amongst our study in the recent Weeks in Hebrews chapter 2, we've referenced the 8th chapter of the Psalms. And we see that this is a direct quotation uh, back in verses 6 through 8 here uh, towards that particular psalm as it describes mankind in its immediate context. But we know also it was foreshadowing Christ. And it's really to bring forth uh, in the Hebrews to use this text is to bring forth the truths of Christ and the truths of mankind and his humanity and his nature. They were first spoken there in Psalm chapter 8, but like I said earlier, they were veiled because we didn't understand who the Messiah was. We didn't know who the Christ was to come. And so foremost, we must realize that they speak of Christ. Even in the Psalms, it was speaking of Christ. Secondly, we acknowledge that they were spoken before Christ's incarnation. This is what's so wonderful about the scriptures, that they were true before they had come to pass. Every word was true. May, may every man be a liar. God is truth. He is the only truth. Every word that proceeds out of his mouth shall we live by. Why do we do that? Because what he speaks is truth. Even in Psalm chapter 8, before Christ took on flesh, these things were true in eternity. This is before Christ became a man. Therefore, these served in their original transmission as prophetic statements about the Christ, as well as they duly noted the inability for man, mere man, to fulfill these things. So in one sense, when we have these uh, 
quotations from the psalm beginning in uh, verse 6 there. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned with him? That he's made a little lower than the angels. That he's crowned with glory and honor. These things were meant of mankind. Mankind has failed. He's fallen in sin according to the, the original sin of Adam. Every man's sense is coming forth from the womb including women all children, not just man, mankind, but they come forth from the womb speaking lies, and because of that, no man can fit this bill. And so it's showing us not only the, the nature of man and his failure before God, but it's also showing us the need for a Savior, and in that it's showing us the Christ who is able to fulfill these things. What a wonderful prophetic statement. This is the essence of of the two books of the Bible that they would serve to show that man is unable to do that which he is created for and that someone else must fulfill them. Someone else must do these things. In that we begin to recognize the nature of the gospel. That mere man cannot keep the law. It's the law of God and we would not serve God. We wouldn't live as we should. We won't love as we should. Another man must come who is able to do all of these things. And this man is none other than the Christ, Jesus. The one who is truly God and truly man. Being uh, the second person of the Trinity. Containing within himself these two natures. These two distinct natures. Being God who existed eternally. Then created Man, how he fulfills that. He's not created, but he is taking on the flesh and that he is born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, and then going forth as a man, he's subjected to the world that belongs to man. He's subjected to the sin that is in the world because of man. He dies as a man, and then he's resurrected as God and ascends as God where he is seated at the right hand, given the power that belongs only to God inherently, but Serving as the one who is man seated at that rightful position, the position of glory and honor that is an intercessory position. This is why Jesus is prophet. This is why Jesus is priest. This is why Jesus is king. And then as we consider those verses, uh, 6 through 8 there, again, all of this from Psalm chapter 8, we know that the original context, uh, this didn't really speak of the Christ. But it was a prophetic statement of man. It was describing uh, once again what man is to do, how man is to serve, what man is created for. These vessels that were uh, both created for honor and dishonor. The, the chief end of man that would be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How we have failed and then we learn that the question arises over the importance of man in the very first verse there that is uh, Quoted, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you're concerned? So here is the important question. Why is he important? This sinful being. The fallen lineage of the first Adam. Whereby sin entered, to, entered into the world. Why is he important? Why would you care for him? Why would you care for this world who has sinned against you? This cursed race. This is the world of the mortal this is the world of finite creation. And then we look to Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and it says, Wherefore as, one man, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed 
when there is no law, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Here we see the picture of man. Why would God be concerned? Because man has sinned. Why, why would he be concerned about a sinful man? Why would any of us be concerned with someone who has sinned against us? Simply, it isn't uh, of mere human nature to be concerned with someone, especially when they transgressed against us. But praise the Lord, Jesus Christ is not a mere man. Jesus Christ is uh, deity. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so we have a man who, according to Psalm 8, uh, created and is lowly and is unworthy of remembrance of God. This is how the question is posed. Why would you be concerned? Because we're unworthy. Then again, the following verse says the same thing, depicted of man's offspring, the generations to come, and every generation since Adam. Why would God give such great care to mere man? It really is the question. It really is the awesome wonder of the gospel and how it's applied to every man who has received Christ. After all, he is created lower than the angels, the text says. Created a little lower for a time being, that is. Yet still man is the object of the power of the message of Jesus Christ's gospel. Man was given dominion, as we see, over creation. And it's a creation that even isn't his own. Why would God even do that? He's given jurisdiction to take care for and execute those things necessary for the creation to serve him in as far as he would serve God. Yet still, why would God care? In all this, God is allowing man to rule over his creation to some extent that he himself, being that mankind, did not create. Yet in his gracious mercy has given us some dominion and some rule. Man has no inherent rights over God's creation, for man himself is a part of this creation, being himself a created being. All things put in subjection, the text says, uh, you have put all things in subjection under his feet, but we don't see it. And that's what verse 8 said last week. We don't yet see it. It doesn't seem to be working this plan Man doesn't seem to be living up to his purpose. But in all these things, the plans of God are being executed. That through man's failures, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, he may arise and receive the glory and honor that is due him. And that is where we pick up this morning. Verse 9. But we do not see these things in subjection under his feet, but we do see him. Capital H. Not to be compared to mere man. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels. This is qualifying Christ to serve in this position that is described in chapter 8 of the psalm. As a man who is made a little while lower than the angels. This being Jesus, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The previous text shows the falling short of man, verse 8. And then verse 9 begins with the gospel, Jesus' fulfillment of all other mere, mere mortal man's incompetent failures. And in, in effect, verse 8 said, But we don't see it this way as God has planned it, or as God has declared it, rather. 
But in verse 9 it says, But God, but God has done something. But we do see Him, Jesus Christ, capital H, Him, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Jesus had to be made for a little while lower than the angels that He would fit the bill of man, that He could pay the sin debt for man. The blood of bulls and goats would no longer suffice. And if you consider the... Uh, the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the, the Hebrew system, they would have to come over and over again. Every time a sin, every time another sacrifice. But now we have a lamb that is spotless, that is without blemish, that is the perfect substitute for man because he is man. But he's so perfect, you'll never have to come again with a sacrifice. Not for salvation. But rather, now your bodies are a living sacrifice as far as they are serving Christ. And so this Jesus here is little lower than the angels and he's distinctly different uh, from any other man because that he was the creator. He was God and he is likewise the same man that is described in Psalm chapter 8 but he is far more infinitely valued. This Jesus who is a little while lower was... A little while lower for a lot shorter time, as we think of some men, because Jesus Christ was a little while lower than the angels, and after his three and a half year ministry, he's dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. So uh, if we look at the averages, he was a little while lower for a lot shorter time than most men. For man without Christ, man until Christ's second coming is still a little while lower than the angels because he has not yet been exalted to his glorification. He has not yet received the glory and honor that is Christ. He has not inherited those things that are promised at the consummation. But Christ is all these things. And the Psalms here are speaking of this Jesus Christ. Not a simply mortal man, but a mortal man who has also deity who is also God. This was a foreshadow. It was in fact uh, existing at this time in Psalm chapter 8 with messianic overtones of the Christ who would fulfill it because it was describing man and it was describing what, what, who the Christ must be as both man and God. He must be the Savior. And he is proclaimed here in chapter 2 as we see the fulfillment. The text again declares we have never seen such a man until now. Until the Christ, both man, both God, Jesus Christ, how is he lower than the angels? Even for this little while as it describes, I think this is very important that we understand what is being said here. How is Christ made a little lower than the angels? How is man a little lower than the angels? This will really answer the question for both uh, man and for Christ. The answer lies within the nature. The nature of man. Christ being incarnate. Coming as man, born of the Spirit, as I said earlier, born in human flesh, that of Mary is now himself flesh. How does that make him lower than the angels? Well, we see, therefore, that the humanity is now, uh, as Christ's humanity, is now subject to the curses of the earth. Christ being ruler of heaven, Christ being one who is living in heaven before the the incarnation who is creating earth, creating the things in the earth, creating the heavens and the world and all of its creatures is not subject to the sinful world. But as he takes on flesh, he has come into it and he is being grieved by this creation. 
Christ is now suffering from the effects of the curse of the fall. Being man, he is subject to the consequences of the curse of men. The angels have no pain due sin. That's how Christ is made for a little while lower. Christ is suffering in a sin-filled world and the angels are not subject to sin. They are of heavenly realm and they are serving all of the creation. They're going to and fro, answering to God, these angels. And they're, they're going to and fro concerning the duties and the responsibilities and the tasks that they've been given on earth as well as exalting uh, the Lord in heaven. And here's the reality that if Christ is a little while lower and it, that it is due his human nature, then likewise he is now subject to death as promised Adam. That is how Christ is made for a little while lower than the angels. The angels are not subject to death, but Christ is. An infinite being. The angels also are those who will live in eternity. But they're not subject to death as Christ is. This is how he is for a little while lower. He's fulfilling that which was said to Adam. In the day that you eat of the fruit, dying you shall die. The angels aren't subject to death for the job is even to serve the immortal and eternal God and to exercise judgment and to fill his decree within them. They were even to, to exercise judgment to the fact that they would bring death. Yet for a time, Jesus is exposed to such a frailty as death. What a shame it would have been to walk upon this sinful world that you created that was corrupted by mere man that were meant to serve you. What a humility it was for Christ to take this burden upon himself for the eternal God, Jesus Christ, come as a man to face death that was for sinful man and sinful man alone. No angel could ever re realize the impact of Christ. No angel could ever understand how such a lowly creature could be the, the object of God's love and his affection and his grace and his mercy and, of course, his salvation. No one can truly comprehend this side of heaven. This is why the scripture finds approval. Hebrews chapter 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's describing the lowly condition of Christ in his humanity, in his flesh, how he is made a little lower than the angels. He was subjected to the weaknesses of this world. He was subjected to the, ten and, uh, to the sin and tempted as we have been tempted, yet he was without sin. This is how Christ can qualify as a propitiation for man. He alone is qualified. There is no one else. He alone is the perfect substitute. He alone is the all-sufficient sacrifice. There's only one name under heaven among men by which we must be saved, and this is Jesus Christ. Even there, his twofold nature is detailed. It says, because of the suffering of death, he's crowned with glory and honor so that the grace of God by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The death of Jesus has come in the stead of those who would believe upon him. That he might fulfill what others could not. As it was being revealed in Psalm chapter 8. His death is commencing and then being rewarded at the resurrection and the ascension with this as it was prayed. 
This is the reward of Christ. He prayed in John chapter 17. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. At the crucifixion, at the death and the resurrection of Christ, it was to be commencing his reward, this bestowing upon him the grace of God, the glory and honor that was due him, this inherent uh, attribute that belonged only to the Christ, only to God. Here it is being restored to him. For he was a little while lower than the angels. And then Christ here in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 is now explained. Because of this suffering, because of this particular death, he's now glorified to this former state. How could we know in John chapter 17 that these things before Christ, he could speak so surely about them and say, glorify me. How could we know that this would happen? Because simply anything that is prayed in the will of God, it shall be done. And we know that Jesus Christ could not pray these things and count on them as being done if he weren't praying according to the will of God. And he most certainly was because he is God. Therefore, this glorification was certain. And now he was glorified uh, as he was before creation and before time, this glory, the honor, and exaltation uh, being the reward of his work on Calvary's cross. No other man could feat. And this is why the message today cannot simply be a history lesson because it testifies of the eternal God who didn't briefly come and exist, but instead he is the I am. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. And the death that Christ took upon himself wasn't simply an average death, but it was a weighty death. Why would I say that? Because this was truly the death of many. This was the death in which he drinks the cup of the wrath of God. And it's not a cup of wrath that belongs to him, but it belongs to every sinner since Adam who would profess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is how weighty it was. It was the death of everyone who would be saved. The death of many. The death of all who are called according to his purpose that in him they might receive eternal life. The idea is very simple. In verse 8, we do not yet see all things subjected to man Therefore, we see no glory. Therefore, we see no honor. But in verse 9, we do see Christ. And he is crowned with glory. And he is crowned with honor that he might fulfill all things whereby we may see man restored. We may see man reconciled to his rightful state with the resurrection and the consummation that is in Christ. For Christ will redeem his people. We do not yet see, but we do see him who has fulfilled these things? Romans 5.15 continues with this. It says, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, 
Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's where the rubber meets the road. Man is unable. Man is incapable. Man is sinful. Constantly sinning against the great and powerful and almighty God. His sin so iniquitous that it would actually without Christ bring upon the hate of God. Bring the wrath of God. Bring the judgment of God. Bring uh, the, the wonderful part that many people miss is that every life is an eternal life. One will be an eternal life separated from the presence of God to burn forever in hell. And the other that is magnificent is the eternal life that is with Christ, that is in heaven. The thing that makes heaven so heavenly. Jesus Christ, the presence of God. And so what we see here is man's inability to serve God, man's inability to be saved, man's wretchedness before God, man's unworthiness. And here we see a Christ who fits the bill, who is man, who is remembered of God, who is concerned for God, who is doing the will of God, who is serving God as Father, who is perfect in every way, who has suffered the death of the cross, a shameful death, who has gone to redeem his brethren who has gone to the cross in perfect righteousness, without a sin, taking upon himself the sins of man, that, that we may go before God if we're granted faith and repentance and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus Christ and have no other hope but in Jesus Christ and that we would pile our sins before us and be broken over sin and that we would call out to the only one who could save. And that this Christ who is a, a little while lower than the angels fits every model of man, but fits the only model of God. He is responsible man for his sin. He is unable to pay his debt. He is unable to work towards righteousness. He's unable to work towards salvation. But God says, man, you are accountable for sin. And then we say, well, how is man both accountable and how is God sovereign? This is the answer because man is accountable and God knows it. God is sovereign and he provides a man who can be both accountable and who could pay a sin debt. God says, you can't do it, so I'll make a man who can't. I will come in the flesh. I will be sinless. I will be the propitiation. Therefore, man's sin debt is paid by man, but ultimately it takes one who is God, one who is perfect, one who is without a single spot, without a blemish, it takes the Lamb of God. It takes the Son of God. And while he was a, a little while lower, it was much needed. It was very necessary for Christ to do these things, for Christ to be lower. And coming in the flesh, he could fulfill what other men could not. And that we could trust in him and that he would cause us to love him first. And love our neighbor as ourself and to serve him. It's the, the idea that God, you've heard me say it before, the Spirit of God, to use the Word of God to make the children of God look like the Son of God. That is what salvation is. That is what justification is. That's what sanctification is. And 
to, to boil it all down, I think of a hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and He alone can wash it white as snow. This is the Christ we serve. This is the Christ that we look for whenever we open the Scriptures. This is the Christ from Genesis to Revelation. This is the Christ who is supreme, who is described in Hebrews chapter 1, being the only one through whom God now speaks. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you again, Lord, we just thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the remission of sin. Lord, we thank you for such a wonderful substitute who upon Calvary's cross paid for all the sins, both past, present, and future. Lord, we thank you that salvation doesn't rely upon any ability of man, but that it is accomplished by the completed work of Christ by which he said to tell us die. It is finished. That any man, woman, or child, Lord, who would profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, who would look at themselves in this mirror of the law and see the truth of who they are, to see that we are ultimately a sinful being that can do nothing but sin. Yet, if we look to Christ and trust in Him and believe His Word and believe His work, and love Him and serve Him. For He said, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. Lord, if, if this be the fruit of our lives, not that which brings forth salvation, but that this would be the fruit of salvation, that we would love Christ and love one another, what a, what a wonderful grace it is for us to see that. Lord, we pray this morning that those who would hear this Word, who are believers, be reminded of the Gospel. Be reminded of our lowly state and our wretched condition just for a moment, Lord, and that we would ultimately look to Christ and see how wonderful He is. And for those, Lord, who have yet to profess You, Lord, we just pray that Your Spirit would move, Lord, that You would draw them to Christ and that they would see Christ for the Savior and that they would see Christ as all-sufficient and that they would know that the Christ is the only one who is able to save and that there is relief and that there is a light yoke and there's a, a very light burden that is in Christ. And there is a rest that is in Christ. Lord, would you give those who would hear your word this morning peace. Lord, would you bring unto them salvation for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.